This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 71. Episode 71. This features Ebony Noel Golden, and I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Um, if you've been listening to me for a little while, um, if you follow me on Instagram, um, you might be aware that I've been doing, well, one, I've been uh, getting back to acting over the past year, and specifically over the past uh, couple of months, I've been involved with the production I'm very excited about, has its final performance tomorrow, June 29th, um, from 1 to 5 p.m. It's called 125th and Freedom. Um, it's put on by the National Black Theater. And uh, if you listen to last week's episode, that was with the artistic director of the National Black Theater, Jonathan McCrory. Um, if you want to find out more information about the performance, go to the nationalblacktheater.org. And the show is called 125th and Freedom. And come out. It's free. Check it out. But today, I'm talking to Ebony Noel Golden, and she is the writer, creator, director um, of this project, choreographer. Um, so without her, uh, I would not be doing this performance. Um, but she is somebody I'm very excited to share a conversation with you about because um, she's the kind of artist that I would like to be. In fact, I created this podcast to connect with this kind of artist, um, have these conversations and share them with you. Um, and I believe that for me personally, this is also a cornerstone for me as an actor and just as the artist that I want to be. They say comparison is the enemy of perfection. Um, but I do think finding uh, your people, like-minded people and people who are doing what you want to do um, and maybe at a higher level than you, um, but doing it well, doing things at a high level, finding those people and working with those people, that's a great way to get where you want to go. Um, so I'm super excited about this. Um, I've loved doing this production, um, but I'm excited to share with you Ebony Noel Golden um, in our conversation. Uh, she has a lot of insight. Ebony is the writer, creator, director, choreographer of 125th and Freedom, which has its final show tomorrow. She's also the founder of Betty's Daughter Arts Collaborative, and we'll talk about that in the interview. And she just shares some real uh, jewels of wisdom. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I think there's a lot, lot here. So without further ado, this is Ebony Noel Golden. Let's have a conversation. Um, so yeah, so you've been super busy, obviously coming up this Saturday is the final performance of this production of 125th and Freedom. Yeah. Um, I just saw, uh, you have plans, but this will not be, um, the end of that process. Like this is still. Oh no, not at all. I, um, have been working on this piece for five years and um, it really is, I think, going to be a lifelong piece. Um, and I have friends in other cities and colleagues in other cities and states that want some version of this. Um, I'm an educator. 
and an organizer. So I see lots of different avenues and inroads to take the work into community. I was asked if, if I could do some type of children's iteration of the work. And so it's less of a production and more of um, a project for mm -hmm. me where the performance aspect of it has always been one aspect. But the way the piece was made was through community conversations, a lot of research, a lot of gathering and talking with people on the street. And, um, and I've never been the type of artist that takes the show as the end. It really is a, a part of a platform, um, which that's really how I was trained. I was trained and I am, I feel like I'm still a really, a really, um, um, you know, kind of devotee to using art for something other than the show. And um, it's challenging sometimes, but it's my way of, it's my way of working. And it um, has been good for me, good for me and good for the communities that I'm accountable to. So, yeah. Um. And I think it's been really good for all of us who've been involved with, with this part of the project. Um, and in ways, I think, like we've been processing as we're going, mm -hmm. um, but in ways that I think we're gonna be also processing probably forever. Um, so thank you for allowing me to be a part of, of this project. Um, it's, been, it's been great. Um, I guess uh well here's the thing i'll say with that you mm -hmm. know huh it's challenging right because there is a way in which theater happens you come in you have a month of rehearsals or less you put up a show you go on to your next thing and again the the question for me is around impact and so while that is a way, it's a standard way of working, it's a way that I think um, actors and artists and creatives are used to working or they have an expectation that that's the way things will go. And for me, it is not my expectation. It is not my default to say one month up into the show, we will rehearse and then you'll do the show and then it'll be over. I um, understand all of the, the parameters that are necessary to make shows happen in a way that is economically viable and feasible, but I'm not in it for that. So most often in making of 125th and Freedom, I have worked with people over a course of six months. They've been my students, they've been volunteers, they've been community workers, you know this, I've shared this. But it really is a certain kind of performance pedagogy that I think we, you know, I know about because of Dr. Barbara Antier's work. I know about because of um, John O'Neill's work in the Free Southern Theater. I know about this kind of work because of the way Jawale Willa Jozola works through Urban Bush Women. That my elders and some of these folks and their ancestors. And even the way I was raised as a human being is that you invest in people and you invest in telling the stories that you want to tell, but that if you're going to do that with people, you need to invest in the people. And I find, you know, sometimes rubbing up against the ways in which theater happens in New York City and 
what it means to be in a union house or professional and all of that, um, that it rub it rubs up against in, in a sometimes in a very challenging way, my way of moving and working in the world, you know? Um, and it just takes some time to to figure out how to bring it, but and then figure out what you just can't bring to a space like that. Luckily, I want to make work forever. I want to be an artist forever. So I don't need one, um, one production or one particular project to answer all of the questions around how I want to be in community through the lens of art making. Uh, but it is, it's very challenging. It's challenging. Um, and I often want to be an activist inside of the production process and advocate for more time, but that's not a good use of my time. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, you're familiar with one of my elders, uh, Dr. Tanya Pettiford Waits. And it's interesting for me being a part of this process because there are lessons that she like has been telling mm -hmm. me since we first met when I was like 18 years old mm -hmm. about getting away from the, uh, particularly like the result driven process. That's right. Um, That's right. And into the process process. Um, right. And the ritual process specifically. Right. Right. Um, That's right. And that, you know, and, um, Dr. T, um, is a gold standard in doing this kind of work. You know, I haven't had the, privilege to work in, in studio with her. And I, uh, several years ago, I really wanted to, but I just haven't had the time to do so. But this idea of process over product and process over profit is, um, <laughs> it's something, it's something. And um, I think inside of um, a, a capitalist society you know the role of you know we we do have to ask ourselves what is the role of theater what is the role of art what is the role of dance what is the role of poetry inside of a capitalist society and i am not saying you know it we need to ask this question and then and then it needs to get to a certain place that and we need to understand um like be kind of prescriptive about it. But we do, for me, I am asking a question about where are the people? Where's the process? Where's the, where's the opportunity for transformation? For deep transformation, for sustained transformation of the, the people involved? How do we reconnect with our surroundings, with the environment, with the land? And that requires ritual. And that, it, it requires ritual not that you must have a certain um, um, initiation. I'm, I'm talking about what we do and developing habits as, as a community of people who are, you know, bringing a, a show into the world or a play into the world, um, finding family, you know, finding ways to, uh, to engage authentically, to stay engaged, to stay connected, all of that is super important, but it takes time. And what Dr. T and the other folks that, that I, I um, talk about is that investment in people and eating together and struggling together and laughing together and taking care of each other's kids and, you know, being on the street together and traveling, all of the things about real intimacy, radical intimacy. Um, you can't fake that. You can't make that up. 
it is time-based it is it is regardless of talent it is and actually in my in my case facilitates talent talent that can be used for the show the relationship is you know it fosters it, it fosters people wanting to be better better for each other and better for the story and better for the the potential for transformation but again investment in people and it doesn't and i'm not saying it from the perspective of you know you gotta pay like money i'm talking about time and intimacy and it seems antithetical to a lot of ways in which work gets staged and made. And I'm feeling, and I'm in my feelings about this right now um, because I'm in a moment where I have to make some decisions about how do I advance a creative practice that is in alignment with my aesthetics and my politics? And how do I get to make work at National Black Theater, at the Shed, on tour, wherever I want to go, and stay connected to my core values. And when I think about, you know, Dr. T and the other and and, and Jawale and Baba John and these folks, seriously, I want to. That's a question, you know. Where is the space for ritual? Where is the space for humanness? Where is the space? for um, also, real community. And it occurs to me also that um, that investment in people, um, it's kind of a each one teach one. Like it's a long way, but like if more artists uh, stick to their core values and really figure out what those are and what their process is and start making work from that way, then yeah over time you, you know you can't plan how long that takes or whatever but over time there becomes more of a landscape mm-hmm. more ground covered um mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. more fertile ground created by more people doing that right and where is the time for artists to learn what their core values are as an artist unless you make the time unless you you know, only take certain types of, of projects on that or productions on that allow you to understand that. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot when you're trying to audition and be relevant as an artist and gig and get roles and be in productions and all of that. And on top of that, or along with that, you have to figure out your values and your aesthetics. And I would say it's not separate, but for a lot of people, it is. Is I would say that I wouldn't be able to make art if I didn't understand on a very elemental level who I am and what I believe and what I will and won't do in the pursuit of making art. Some people put that on the back burner for years and then they come back to it. For me, I have no other way but to move from there. Or And of course, there are people that are all in the mix um, doing it many different ways. But I'm asking the question because I'm struggling with the question, to be quite honest, about where do, do the people fit in? It's all this protocol. Well, we don't do that, and we don't do this, and we don't do that. This is the way we do things at our theater. This is the way we do things at our dance company. This is the way we do things. And I have ways of doing things, too. But we have to keep asking the question, what about people? What about the land? 
What about the water? What about people? What about the land? What about the water? And other than that, it's like, what are we doing it all for? And that's a question that I ask myself often. Yeah. Um, I'll share with you just because sitting down maybe you were asking about um, one of the production, one of the shows that happened when you weren't there, um, things that you noticed. Mm. And I remember there was this one guy and he mm. was uh, there. He looked like he, and he looked like he could be my brother, like my mm. little brother or something. Mm. And he was right by Adam Clayton Powell. Um, and he had he saw us coming and he was like, yo, can I march with you guys? And he, he had this big stick mm-hmm. and he was like, yo, I'm ready for the revolution. You know, we got to do this. Yep. And I knew like he he was very like at a very heightened emotional place, like even before we walked up. Mm-hmm. And then when we walked up, like it was like things coming together and he was getting even more heightened. And yep. I knew some people were kind of concerned and I knew what I had to do in that moment was I just went and stood next to him yeah, yeah. and just stayed in my process. Mm-hmm. And then he was talking to me and he kept telling me, um, yeah, I want to say this. He was like, I see your anger. I see your pain. Um, I feel it. And he was like, but your, your spirit is telling mine um, silence. And I respect that. And he said that a couple mm-hmm. times and then he calmed down and he stayed with us all the way to Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. And then I watched this man at Harriet Tubman who I know I, I could see like, that he was scaring some people. Mm-hmm. But at Harriet Tubman, I did hear. I heard what he was saying. And he said, um, just to share this with you about impact, um, he said he felt like he was seen. And then I think, I don't know, if, I think he left after Harriet Tubman, but he went and shook everybody's hand. I was there. Okay. I was there. And yeah, I danced with them a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like one of those things like that was like the ritual happening mm-hmm. to me. Um, mm-hmm. so that's like something that I'll definitely never forget. Well, here's the thing, you know, it's a public piece. We're in Harlem, we're on the street. We can act like, you know, there we could we could really just move through Harlem. Well, I couldn't, but a lot of people do. And the encounter of like, oh, I see or I feel or I sense an energy on your part mm-hmm. is something that I do all, all the time. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah. I can imagine that. And really getting clear, this is not a hostile personality. Right. This is a personality that is attuned in a certain way, but wants to engage. I know I was there and he was... He had things to say. Mm-hmm. He had he wanted to be heard. He wanted to be seen. But who doesn't? And it's a theater piece. It's a theater piece where we're asking people to respond. If you if that is the case, then build the capacity to deal with folks. Or this isn't the work for you. You know, and I do think and you know, I'm saying that I'm saying for you, but I'm saying that for me. Make the work that can make a connection in a way that people need it. Not in the way that I need it, in the way that people need it. Other than that, I can journal in my own notebook. I can write things. I can actually, you know, actually that's been a big part of this, you know, just what do I see in the world? But the, when you're public, it, there is another level of accountability, you know, and that accountability is to connection in some regards. It's to, again, placing people at the center of the whole mix. And it's really important. Yeah, he was fun. Mm-hmm. 
he was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you come to this work? I mean, that's a, a big question, but yeah. like, yeah, could you talk about your journey a little bit? To- yeah, and you know, my folks, my friends and colleagues, they say I have been making the same work my entire life. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. This this piece is definitely a, comes at a culmination and a rebirth, a renaissance of who I am as a human being. You know, Alec, it is something I've been on a journey and I I I feel I feel very gosh, it's surreal with the some of the things that I've been able to do. But what I will say is that with this piece, it's just connected to everything I've ever always I've ever done. And whenever I try to locate a moment, I go to a moment before that. And then I go to a moment before that. Literally looking at Facebook memories reminds me that 10 years ago I was making this piece. 12 years ago I was making this piece and didn't know because I was also in graduate school, I was also a new New Yorker, I was also, you know, in a relationship, I was also doing other things that didn't allow me to presence and center the art making. But in this recent moment, like in the recent recent times, I needed to find a way to make sense of a lot of the the rapid change in New York City, in Durham, North Carolina, which is another home for me, in Houston, which is where I'm from, and what in the world, why in this moment, why now is this rapid gentrification, you know, rapid change happening all over the country, like spreading like, you know, wildfire. And I could not grasp it, really. I couldn't grasp it. And um, uh, at the same time, or in a, in a, in a connected moment, um, I decided that I would be a shell of a person. If, it, if I did not come back to making art um, in a way that made me feel human. And at this point, you know, um, I don't know if you know, but I'm not a full-time artist. Um, I work um, as a, an arts and culture strategist. And I work with organizations, theater companies, dance companies, schools, I do a lot of professional development, a lot of other things that are arts adjacent. And what I found is in doing my personal work and doing my my professional work is that I was starting to develop develop this shadow persona. I don't know if I've talked about this in public before, but I, I feel like I do need to say this because depending on what room I'm in, you know, folks are like, oh, Ebony, she's been an artist. She has an MFA in poetry, an undergraduate degree in poetry. She's directed. And then I come into some other rooms, and the room is like, Ebony is the cultural strategist. She builds art, you know, strategic plans. She builds education plans. And I do both of those things. And I do a lot of things. But what I was finding is the kind of, 
the kind of rat race of being an entrepreneur and having an emerging um, consultancy in the city and then r r ripping and running after contracts and then getting contracts, having to fulfill that and growing very big, very fast. My consultancy went from me only to now a team of sometimes 10 people depending on the project and having to manage all of that really took the art making opportunity away. And I was couching a lot of the art making, I do need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> I was couching a lot of the art making to be very honest in community engaged work where I was working with other ensembles or groups of people and do that, do this, and holding a lot. And I have, I've started performance ensembles before. Started one in DC, I started one in Houston. I've been a part of these arts collaboratives, mostly of black women, for the duration of my life. Um, and what I found is none of that was enough. And at, at, an, at an opportune moment, very, like, very beautiful moment, I was asked to see myself and to see my shadow and to say, you know, you're in a world where people that you know devise a, a multi-faceted, um, uh, multifaceted way of being in the world. They're artists, they're scholars, they're, you know, um, they have businesses, they are, they work with, from the grassroots to the government to everywhere. Like, why are you playing small? Mm. Why are you playing like you were not brought here to live in many different worlds? Why are you acting like just because you didn't do it 10 years ago, you can't do it now? Why are you letting other people dictate how you move as a creative human being? And I had to sit with that. I had to sit with my shadow and, I, and my shadow self, which is a whole other conversation to talk about shadow work. But I do think it's necessary because in certain aspects and corners of the world, there is something called, you know, the creative class. And the creative class to me is a liberated space to be in because you can do whatever your creativity allows you to do. You can make a film if you've never made a film. You can host a podcast if you've never hosted a podcast. You can imagine and then do the thing. And that's what artists do. And that's what I had been doing, but I was playing like I had to flatten out into this entrepreneur that could not really hold the magnitude of her own artistic dreams, dreams of productions, dreams of things. And I got to a point in my life where I was like, I'm gonna be sick, emotionally, physically, spiritually sick if I don't take the time to invest in figuring this out. And then I got to figuring it out. And I said to myself, I am committed for a decade to make the work my heart desires in relationship to how I want to engage people in the world. And I just, I have always been an artist and I've had a level of visibility as an artist as a younger adult. 
I've, I have, and some, like I said, some people only know me as an artist, as an artist who maybe lost her, the, who retired. And for a period of time, I did tell people I retired. And I'm out of retirement, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, yeah. So this work took five years because it's taken the span of me really committing to myself and committing to my communities and committing to galvanizing all of the resources I can to tell this epic journey. I needed to know how to be free. And what, how, how else? But to seriously to figure out how to be free in the midst of making the work about how to be free. Yeah. And so, you know, it for me is a way to metabolize and create a that kind of a strategic filter for everything I'm thinking about this work. It allows me to connect somewhat what might be for some very disparate like not uh, you know like how is this connected to that? But it was it isn't until now. It isn't until now that every my the minutia getting into the weeds around how does the Underground Railroad connect to the Great Migration, connect to queer liberation, connect to blase, blah, blase, blah. Okay, people theorize about it, but what do I have to say about it? How do I think about liberation from a perspective that is not, you know, heteronormative or locked into certain types of being or time frames or ways of doing things? I wasn't thinking about the depth of this. I wasn't thinking about, and like I, I shared in our rehearsal process, I wasn't even thinking about why liberation needed to be, I should have been, but I have to say this, even as a person who is surrounded by deeply embedded and queer community, I was not for this process thinking about how liberation was a queer pursuit. Now, some people will say that Ebony, that makes no damn sense. You know better. I'm being honest, though. And so the ability to be super, super rigorous in where I am blocked and where my homophobia shows up and where my lack of understanding around the, the environment that we live in and how people are really thinking about and dealing with, you know, erasure, cultural erasure, displacement, I... This would not let me rest. There was a moment, there were moments, many moments, where I would lay down after a full day and my subconscious would take over and it would just be like, oh, and then this happens and then that happens and then that happens and then we march like this and then, and I did not know I was making a work. And I tell people, all the people who ask me, you know, to talk about this, I, I, I talk about my trajectory. I tell them, Alec, I say, I don't make work unless I, unless I have to make the work. Mm-hmm. I don't make my rent by making art. So art has to do something else for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reality of all of that is, you know, this piece said, we choose you. We choose you and we choose you now. And get up, 
We don't care how long you work. We don't care how many strategic plans you're doing. This piece, this story, in this way. And I was like, I'm not from Harlem. How am I going to make a piece in Harlem? And it was like, and then I would start, I would meet more. And I've been in Harlem for years, you know. This is, Harlem is my, is my cultural home. And my literal home. Um, but I would meet people and just, you know, get into these conversations about Harlem and Houston and Atlanta. And they would be like, are you from Harlem? And I'd be like, no, but I love Harlem. And they would say, often, I'm sure Harlem loves you too. Mm -hmm. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's very true. And then as the piece began to pick up steam and I began to move resources to do it as an independent artist before MBT came on as a producer, people would say, yeah, this is a piece. We, we allow you, non-Harlemites, to do this. We allow you to do this. And that would come ever so often just when I needed it. And it was enough to get us here. You know, I my 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 initial training as an artist, my initial training in, as an artist is in dance. And I trained as an uh, as a dancer my entire childhood. I was in magnet programs and after school programs, all kinds of things, Girl Scout arts programs. And, you know, in college, I was in a dance company and, and then not <laughs> in a dance company. And very young, I started making money as a professional choreographer at the Ensemble Theater in Houston, Texas, where Eileen Morris is artistic director. And I was working with the Young Performers Program. And this is when like one of the one of the performances that we had happen when I was there was a performance by Destiny's Child. They would come in and perform for the young performer. Oh, but why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't we have some resources for you? Knowing that I've always been in, you know, a creative economy and a creative community. So I was doing enough and working with enough people for folks to see me and staying grounded in the arts world as a curator, as a strategist. But it wasn't until I said yes to just get up when, when it's time, like the subconscious waking me up and people and, and those resources aligning from people in my community and just kind of staying connected as much as possible even though I was working out this shadow shit um, that's really where this piece comes from, you know, and I keep as being asked this question and I have a different entry point and eventually it'll all come together in one uh, answer. Yeah, that, that's, it's interesting that, that, that you say that because in the beginning of the process, we were all sharing, like, it felt like everybody like who came together was there for a reason. I was explaining I've said it several times how I felt like it was like the right time, right place. Yeah, for you me. did. Mm -hmm. And part of it is definitely I definitely battled my shadow, and this the reason that this felt so good to do right now is that I feel like it um, it put things into focus on mm -hmm. like it's easy to fall into certain traps yeah which i because i've taken time off from acting too mm -hmm. and then you know when you come back you're like oh i have a clearer vision but then when you start getting into auditions 
sometimes you can forget yeah. your your true north. Totally, totally. And this play is like, oh yeah, like kind of similar to you. Like I've always like with Dr. T. Mm-hmm. Um, even before that, I've always kind of been doing political theater um, mm-hmm. and specifically theater about race in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and just actually theater as change. Like that's kind of what I come from. Yeah. But many times I've straight up tried to like deny that or run away from that or not do that when actually now like the way I'm looking at what I take forward from here like I auditioned for Mm. some things today Mm. um just kind of running around doing stuff didn't know what was going to happen but one of them was like it was the women's project it Mm -hmm. was playwrights horizon they kind of had a general thing yeah and during the process of this play, I also auditioned for the Ma Yi Theater, which is an Asian American theater. Hmm. And what they do is like all of their plays are written by Asian American playwrights. Yeah. But when you do that, by when you go to these specific companies, mm-hmm. um, basically there's way more representation for people. There's way more voices and people uh, represented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's like, oh, okay. Not it's not that I don't. It's not that I can't do commercial work too mm-hmm. but I can focus mm-hmm. on doing the work that actually matters mm-hmm. which even you know not everybody's gonna be driven to do political theater but as an artist like if you call yourself an artist mm-hmm. I do think you should know what kind of art you want to do and why you want to do it um, and for me this play is like it's an alignment of like oh yeah this is the type of work you know you should be doing um, and so for me, it's like kind of a refocus, you know? Yeah, and it's like, and, and the checking in again and checking, just being aware and mindful mm-hmm. because you're not the same person ever. Yeah. So, you know, that's right, audition. Audition for shit is super critical. It's super important because how do you know what's out there? Yeah. How do you know, how do they know that you're out there? And that's another thing about why we have to be in our creative practice. There's so much to learn about ourselves and others when we, when we choose to be bold in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I just I also I think, man, wow. What would life be like if you didn't make art? What would life as an as an artist? as an actor, a musician, just a creative person, you know? What would life be like? I would be miserable. I would be miserable, and I have been. Like, it's a very, ooh, it's a very gutting place to be in when you know you have something that you need to do not even just want to do, that you need to do and you're not doing it. What a hell to be in. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I and I think it's important in this kind of work to say that this kind of work can, can and has been and then sometimes is commercial. It's political, it has commercial success, People get it across cultures and languages and geographies. Like, we don't need to pigeonhole political theater as for this kind of people, and you must look like this, and you must do it like this, and you must have this politic, you know? And because 
is actually isn't true. Political theater is a global practice. And and I think that in the times like this, we need more of it. You know, I think in times like this, we need to remember more. And this gives us a little bit, um, this, this process, 125th and Freedom, gives me a little bit more fuel, you know, a little bit more air underneath the wings um, in order to get to the next, you know, the next clearing, so to speak. Um, yeah. Um, got a few minutes left. Uh, wanted to talk real quick. Um, what do you have coming up next and also your collective, your, the main collective that you created and mm-hmm. yeah, you want to talk about that just a little bit? Um, so yeah, the next piece is called In the Name Of and it's being done, um, uh, produced and presented by The Shed, August 25th. It's a one day performance. We start at three o'clock. And um, I'm making it, so it's interesting. There's a lot that's coming up with that piece about water, water. So we'll see what comes up with that. Um, And the organization that I started about 10 years ago now is called Betty's Daughter Arts Collaborative. It's an LLC. Um, And under that umbrella, I do everything. Betty is my mom. She's a retired professor and youth interventionist and organizer. She lives in Houston. Um, And I learn everything that I do now from her. Um, And so when I was a kid, she had a, a nonprofit called the Ebony Foundation. And she retired from all of that. And I basically am doing my mother's work um, in in her legacy. Mm -hmm. And we do arts and culture strategy. We create residencies. We create, um, we create um, events. We create ways in which artists can connect with communities. We do a lot of audience engagement. We work with grassroots arts organizations. We build initiatives. We work with major arts and culture organizations. Um, We work nationally and have done work internationally. Everyone that works for BDAC is a consultant. And the expectation is that your creative practice is just as important as your consulting practice. That's what I believe. That's what that's the type of people that we work with. Uh, we we are artists who work with artists, and um, the consultancy is doing very well. We're very busy, and we have a number of new initiatives that are coming forward in the fall, from artist retreats to. Um, digital offerings, um, digital courses, digital coaching. So there's a lot that will be dropping October, November, before the end of the year to introduce and to reintroduce our New York City family and community and the larger kind of network of folks that we engage. Um, That'll be happening. We'll be dropping a lot of information later in the year. 
on next Monday and Tuesday, July 1st and 2nd, we're doing a free webinar called Justice Over Everything. It's um, a webinar that I will be facilitating um, that is all about this current moment in equity, inclusion, and diversity, and why we need to retire that language, and why, why we need to advance this conversation about social, cultural, economic, gender justice. And so it is um, a, a webinar, two-day webinar, 10 to 12 o'clock. You can just go on my Facebook page and, and it'll be free and live. Um, but it's a moment that we're in right now where our artists and organizations are being asked to carry a conversation and actions forward about what it means to be in a liberated world. And then there's an industry called the EID industry. That's um, a multi-million dollar industry where people are making a lot of money, helping people to make equity plans. I, I, that's work that I do. So we need to break apart this certain, this, this current kind of industry and think about what are some elemental ways in which justice can be, you know, the, the journey for justice can happen regardless of if you have an equity plan or a strategy or a bunch of money to pay someone to do one. So that's coming up. And also this summer, we're going to have a cocktail party. So all year we've been celebrating 10 years of service to the field. And, um, and that'll be on my, my website, bettysdaughterarts.com. Um, and so, yeah, we're, like I said, we're all over the arts and culture field. So from strategy to productions to education, um, you can find us. Uh, yeah. So the best places for people to follow you is bettysdaughterarts.com? bettysdaughterarts.com. My Instagram is always has stuff. I always post to Instagram, Ebony Noel Golden. And I have a Facebook business Facebook page for Betty's Daughter Arts Collaborative. So all of that, and I'm on Twitter at, at Betty's Daughter number one. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I'll link all that into the show notes. Okay. Um, do you have, thank you very much for sitting down. Uh, this is great to, to finally do this. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah, so um, my final thoughts, I just, I, I really what I want to offer to your listeners um, is something that one of my elders shared with me. Um, she shared with me that you know, life can be long. And she, this is, she's in her 60s. She says, life can be long. And you don't have to do everything at the same time. But the thing that you must do all the time is take care of yourself. And, um, and that is, for me, a huge offering and has been a, a huge meditation that I keep coming back to. Um, you know, she's done everything from run major philanthropic organizations to um, start jazz festivals to like all kinds of things. She's done it, but she's also lived well in the process. And so um, that's what I like to offer 
for us to meditate on, your listeners, and I'll be in continue continuing to meditate on this is in the midst of all of this great these great ideas and creative opportunities to figure out what you need to live well and to you know be decadent in your self-care and luxury and no one has to know and no one has to approve live well Perfect. thank you welcome <laughs> thank perfect. you thank you so that was my conversation with ebony noel golden um i'll have the links to her different you know groups and her in the show notes follow her check her out and follow those words she gave at the end um i don't know if you watched the debates last night or how much you know you watch the news um but in your process be it your artistic process your road your journey um take care of yourself you know find your process and and honor that but take care of yourself in that process and be careful you know what you what you put into your mind and body your screen take care of yourself i think that's uh good going forward um please if you are in the area please check out 125th and freedom tomorrow which ebony created and directed and i have the honor to be a part of um and do your thing uh you can follow me on Instagram. I've been pretty quiet on there this week because I've been taking care of myself. Uh, sometimes it's good to take a little break, so do that. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. And most importantly, share yourself and what you're supposed to do here on this earth with the world. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you. Have a good day. Peace. We're going to set you free.